Hello, and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. And this is a podcast where I attempt to teach music history to my wife. Who is very sleepy today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Get that out of the way right at the start. <laughs> so how are you? You good? I'm, I'm good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything you want to promote? Any music you've been listening to that you think people should listen to? Um, the new Colony House album is life-changing. <laughs> okay. All right. So I guess check that out if you're into... No, do it no okay. matter what. Sure. <laughs> listen to that album then. Also, I would just like to say that we have a new member of our family. His name is Howie. He's a manatee. <laughs> <laughs> Nick gave him to me as a present for Valentine's Day, which is by far the best valentine's day present ever and now he's in our family and our money is going to support saving the manatees which is something that is really important to me because manatees are the best things in the whole wide world and they will not protect themselves (laughs) so they're just gonna float on through life yep that's all okay no that's (laughs) good and i think somehow Jimmy Buffett is involved in that organization that we adopted the manatee through. So music connection there. That's a reach. (laughs) It's not that much. Oh, whatever. Maybe when, if we talk about Jimmy Buffett in this podcast, we'll, we'll have like a manatee episode. It's Jimmy Buffett. Oh, I thought you meant in this episode. I was like, how is Jimmy Buffett (laughs) going to be alive? Um, so no, this episode, we're continuing on with the history of Broadway sort of. We're talking about Laura Keene, who is a really cool person. And I really enjoyed researching her story. It was one of the ones that like, it's, it's happened a couple times, but while I'm researching and writing it, I just want to like talk to you about the person be like, oh, did you know that this and then, but I can't, I have to keep it bottled up. Now you can let it all yes, out. Yes. I'm very excited that we're finally on this one. Uh, it was hard for me to like folk find anyone to focus in on for this episode just because there are so many important people and plays and theaters and all of that in broadway so pretty much any one of them could have made their own episode but most of them at least from like the earliest days they're from europe they're european and they rose to fame in europe first which is I mean, I guess a little bit against the spirit of this, but I mean, we're going to be talking about like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the British Invasion, so I guess it doesn't matter all that much. But Laura Keene's also British, so. Oh, I thought that you were going to like lead up and be like, but Laura Keene is American, (laughs) so we're going to talk about her. No, she is British, but most of her success came from America, as opposed to like Gilbert and Sullivan, who lived in England their entire lives, and they were British through and through. Laura Keene at least kind of went both ways. She might not be the most important person in the history of Broadway, and it's kind of hard to give that title to anyone, but her story has to be one of the most uh, fascinating, at least for me, so I wanted to share that one. On July 20th, 1826, Mary Frances Moss was born in Winchester, England. She was the fourth and last child of Thomas and Jane Moss. Thomas was considered a gentleman, whatever that means, So Mary was probably well-educated growing up. Her aunt was a British actress, so she had access to a fine library through her. As a young woman, Mary worked in an art gallery, so pretty much like right from the start, she's just constantly around art and performance and stuff. 
pretty cool. Yeah, it's not a bad way to grow up. At the age of 18, she married Henry Wellington Taylor, who was somehow related, or so he claimed, to the Duke of Wellington, and he was an officer in the British Army. Over the next five years, they had two daughters, Emma and Clara. There is some evidence that during this time they owned and operated a pub, but it's kind of hard to find any information around this time. But I still think it's cool to think that they were like pub owners. When Emma was six and Clara was two, Henry bounced and Mary became a single mother. How rude. (laughs) Well, there's some speculation as to what actually happened with Henry. According to some, he was arrested, for we don't know what, and sent to Australia on a prison ship. Some say that Mary traveled to Australia much later to try and find him and actually divorce him. And there's <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> there's some say that she never found him, but then some say that she did, but he refused the divorce because he had like found a level of success in Australia, so he wanted to reconcile, and she wasn't having it. Either way, he was out of the picture, and they remained legally married until he died in 1860, so even though they weren't, they hadn't seen each other in like 20 years. They were still married. They probably didn't fight very much. (laughs) That's true. Mary, alone and raising two kids, sought the advice of her actress aunt, who, as actress aunts typically do, suggested she should apprentice at a theater company. It was socially unacceptable at that time for a woman with kids and no husband to to be involved with theater. What is with these random restrictions? Like, that's just like... could, Could she be involved if she was... Like, unmarried and didn't have kids? Probably, but at that time, actors were considered one step above circus people on the low end of the social scale. So I think it was just frowned upon for anyone to be involved in theater, but especially an unmarried mother, because then it's like, oh, look at you. You're some theater actress, and you're also... What are you teaching your children? (laughs) Exactly. So Mary's mother took over raising Emma and Clara, and Mary changed her name to Laura Keene, so yeah. she wouldn't be, like, recognized. That's an interesting origin story. Yeah. Laura Keene made her London debut in The Lady of Lions in October of 1851. She progressed well and eventually joined the theater company of Madame Vestris, where she gained a wide reputation as an actress in comedies. In 1852, she traveled to America for the first time to be a part of James W. Wallach's company in New York. Her debut in New York was successful, but she soon left Wallach's company in 1853 to start her own theater company at the Charles Street Theater in Baltimore. That's fun. She wanted a larger control over her career, and she figured that managing her own theater was the best way to do that. Go her. Yeah. Entrepreneurship. She didn't want Wallach or anyone else telling her what she had to do. She wanted to be the boss. So she's like, all right, fine. I'll just go do it myself. Soon after that, she was convinced to move to San Francisco as part of the gold rush and opened a theater there. Without the excellent supporting cast that she had uh, developed in Baltimore and with the rough crowd of gold rushers, she didn't do that well in San Francisco. By the end of 1854, she set out to tour Australia with Edwin Booth. This trip served the dual purpose of performing for new audiences and also she could find her husband because that's where he was at the time. Some accounts say that Edwin kept getting drunk in Australia, which, as I understand, is kind of what you're supposed to do in Australia, so I don't know what the issue is there. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> That's all that it's for. <laughs> but that, whatever the cause, that ended there to her early, because Edwin just kept getting drunk and wouldn't actually perform. Get it together, dude. Laura returned to San Francisco for all of 1855 and had way more success than the first time she was there. 
Why? I think probably the area had just developed a little bit more because like at, when she was first there, it was the gold rush, right? So it was all just like men trying to get rich, like mining men trying to get rich and these little like mining towns and all that. So I think by this point, maybe there's a little bit more refinery to it, but maybe not. I don't know. Hmm. Whatever reason, she was actually successful this time. In December of 1855, she returned to New York and took over the Metropolitan Theater on Broadway, which she renamed Laura Keene's Varieties Theater. Edwin, the guy from Australia, also rejoined her group when he returned from his... His party. Yes, his extended party in Australia. I saw, I think we might talk about this later, but there's some people who said, like, Edwin was the best actor of the time, so... I guess, like, at that point, it doesn't really matter if he ruined your Australia trip. If he wants to be in your company, you're going to let him be in your company. It was around this time that she met John Lutz, who be- who came from a wealthy family with connections in Washington, D.C. The two became increasingly involved, and Lutz eventually took over the financial side of the business, leaving Laura to run, like, the creative side and the theater booking side and all that. They would get married in 1860 after both of their previous spouses had died. They just had to wait. <laughs> yep, they wait just had to out. wait it out. <laughs> I don't know if Lutz got divorced or not, or if he was just like, ah, I'll just wait too. I don't know what happened there. Till death do us part. <laughs> In 1856, due to how successful her theater was, a competitor bought out her lease and moved his own group in. So he, he just bought out the Laura Keene's Varieties Theater and was like, nope, it's mine now, and moved them in. That's horrible. Yeah. So Laura was kind of like, out on her luck. She's like, well, what do I do now? Now I don't have a theater. So, in typical Laura Keene fashion, she decided to just open her own brand new theater. Get it, girl. So she called it Laura Keene's Theater. Just dropped the varieties <laughs> this time. <laughs> that theater was, I mean, of course, very successful, reaching its 100th performance in 1861, which led to her creating a touring company to pioneer the as-seen-in-New-York concept of traveling shows. Oh, that's awesome! Mm-hmm. Laura was the first and most successful female theater owner in Broadway history. Through all of this, with Laura traveling all over the place in horrible conditions, since long-distance travel wasn't the best back then, but they didn't have planes, of course, so just, like, really rough train tracks and trains and rails and all that, which isn't fun. I think it could be fun. Not back then with all the, like, lack of hygiene Ew. and cramped spaces and horrible rails and stuff. I don't think travel, long distance travel would be that fun. But she was doing that all over the country with her theater group. So her daughters either lived with their grandmother or at a convent. As they got older, (laughs) as they got older, they would start to manage the theater with Laura. Not everyone liked her work. Some said that she plagiarized from European shows. A playwright and someone she had worked with at the original New York City Theater before her lease was bought out, named G.P. Wilkins, said, Filibuster, which is apparently another word for plagiarize, filibuster as much as you please, ladies and gentlemen, success is nothing but success. But full houses will not buy literary reputation for borrowed plumes. So he's basically saying, like, plagiarize all you want, but being successful does not mean you're a good artist. Which... Is fair, but I don't know if she was plagiarizing. I have no idea. I like how he talks, but <laughs> I also think that he would be a pompous, stuck-up person. Oh, for sure, yeah. Regardless of whether or not she actually plagiarized or whatever, she was successful because she had a knack for talent. She lured the top actors and actresses of the day, 
managed her theater very well, and had a very fiery temper. Keene starred as Florence Trenchard in a play called Our American Cousin that originally premiered at her theater in New York, but it became very successful all across America. It was like the top play of the day. It quickly became known as one of the favorite plays of the period. Because of that success, they decided to tour it, as they normally did with any play that was like super popular. On April 14, 1865, they played at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., with Keene in the starring role. At about 10.25 p.m. during that performance, actor Harry Hawk delivered a line in the play that the whole cast knew and always drew the biggest laugh. Well, I guess I know enough to turn you inside out, old gal. You sock delijazing old man trap. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't know how sock to say that word. It's a word that was invented for this play, and I don't know how to say it. It's sock, D-O-L-O-G-I-Z-I-N-G. Sock dologizing. Sock dologizing? I don't know. Wow. <laughs> but apparently, that was a hit. Well, it's probably all about the delivery, so you screwed it up. I mean, that's Big true. Time. Yeah. But yeah, that. So everyone in the cast knew that that line in the play was going to draw the biggest laugh out right. of the whole play. So it was at exactly that point after that line was read on that night. When the laughter was the loudest, that John Wilkes Booth shot President Lincoln before oh gosh, jumping onto seriously? the stage and fleeing through the back door. Seriously? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was during Laura's play that she first put on and was touring. She was the star actress of the night. John Wilkes Booth, also the brother of Edwin Booth, the man she toured Australia with. Oh, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> that is... So random. <laughs> Laura tried to calm the panicking crowd and heard someone from the president's box calling for water. So she made her way through the panicking crowd and entered the box where she found a hysterical Mrs. Lincoln, which is understandable. Yeah, and I'd be pretty upset yeah. if someone shot you. Of course. And several others attending to the wounded president. According to her, but this has been disputed a little bit, she cradled Lincoln's head until they could transport him to a house across the street. Later, people saw her dress stained with the president's blood, and that dress was later donated to the National Museum of American History, where it's still, as far as I know, on display. So you can still go see the dress she was wearing That's that night. crazy. Yeah. Humans are weird. <laughs> we just are like, oh, cool. This has Lincoln's blood on it. Let's, mm -hmm. this is important. <laughs> Let's display this. People will want to see this blood. That's I mean, so weird. I get that, but I would still also totally go see that dress if I had the opportunity. I think it would be really cool. It would be really cool. Humans are so weird. We are, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a cool little window into history. Like, this was actually what she was wearing. Like, Lincoln actually touched this dress or whatever. I don't know. It's just it's fascinating. Wow. It is said that Laura was the one to identify Booth as the assassin, but I don't really know how true... That is, because, I mean, like, he was a famous actor. He was also starring in the play that night. And after he shot Lincoln, he wrestled with a guy in the box, one of, like, Lincoln's oh, so friends or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, no, he was an actor in the play, John Wilkes Booth. Oh. He was part of Laura's theater company. So she was touring with him, touring Our American Cousin. 
So she um she picked out the best talent, but <laughs> made a, a slight error that time, maybe. Well, by all accounts, he was a phenomenal actor. He just also happened to be a spy for the Confederates. <laughs> And not so happy that the Union had won the war. He didn't like Lincoln. Uh, I mean, obviously. Yikes. But yeah, so like he's he's a star in the play. He wrestled with another man in Lincoln's box. He got away by jumping onto the stage after shooting Lincoln and getting away from that guy. So like, I feel like anyone who saw him would be like, oh, well, that was John Wilkes Booth, the star actor who, you know, is now running away and shouted something. Like, he's probably the guy who did it. So I don't know, like, Laura probably identified him, but so did, like, everyone else. So I don't <laughs> think it matters all that much. But she was also cradling Lincoln's head. That's so true. It's way more important. Very true. As well as being a famous actor, Booth was a Confederate spy, good friend of Laura's, and younger brother of Edwin Booth, who toured with Laura in Australia a decade before. So they knew each other really well. They were very good family friends. Everyone involved in the production understandably so, were basically detained and questioned. They weren't allowed to leave the city to reach their next show in Cincinnati. But Laura's husband, Watts, was able to use his connections in Washington, D.C. to get her out. As far as anyone knows, she had absolutely nothing to do with Booth's plan and knew nothing about it. If she did, no one has found that out yet. But I mean, mean, Booth had accomplices, but I don't think it was anyone else in Laura's company that I know of. It definitely wasn't Laura. What about his brother? As far as I know, he's clean, too. But, I mean, maybe not. And there's a good chance that someone will uncover... Not a good chance, but there's a chance someone will uncover information and be like, oh, it turns out Laura was the mastermind of all this. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past her (laughs) after all the other stuff she's accomplished. Wow. Yeah. Actress. Hitman. (laughs) Well, not the hitman. He was the hitman. Mm. Apparently, they did actually make the show in Cincinnati, like, the next night, too. Like, they were detained at the railway station for a little bit. The show must go on. Yeah. There are some accounts that say that, like, after this happened, which would be completely understandable, Laura was just, like, despondent and refused to act anymore and wouldn't go on. But, like, that's not true. She (laughs) kept performing for another, like, ten years. She continued to perform at her theater in New York and on the road for the next seven years. Sorry. But her health was failing. She had previously had to give up managing her own theater due to her poor health. So someone else took over and she just performed there. She spent most of her later years at her farm in Akushnet, Massachusetts. <laughs> While there, she had her daughters. She and her daughters launched a month- monthly arts publication called The Arts. <laughs> <laughs> She's really good at naming things. <laughs> but due to her declining health, it folded after 11 months. She launched that as kind of like a way to ensure that her daughters would be taken care of because she knew her health was failing. So she's like, I'm not going to be able to provide them jobs or money. So like, let's launch this monthly publication so that way they'll have an income coming in and they can just run that. So it's pretty sad that it didn't work out because it's, I mean, good intentions. Her last performance was on July 4th, 1873, while touring in northern Pennsylvania. She would die a few months later from tuberculosis at the age of 47. Whoa. Mm-hmm. The Laura Keene Theater was located at 622-624 Broadway <laughs> between Bleecker and Houston Streets. It outlived Laura, but not by much. 
It was lost to a fire in 1880. That address is now a Best Buy. <laughs> the best art. In a time when theater managers rarely lasted longer than a year and women were treated far from equally, Laura Keene broke the mold. She managed a very successful theater for a long time. She pioneered the idea of traveling Broadway shows so the rest of the country could see it. And she was the original producer of some of the best-known plays of the day. And also, just like a little aside that I didn't look into that much, her lawsuit to get the copyright for Our American Cousin played a large role in developing the copyright system of our country. That's cool. Yeah. Her legacy gets somewhat overshadowed because of the whole Lincoln thing. Whenever she is mentioned, it's usually as the star actress and theater manager in the night Lincoln was shot. But her story is so much more than that, and she did so much more than that. So I think it's like a little bit unfair to just confine her to this one night, even though it was a huge night. So it makes sense that that's what people talk about. But like, she did so much more, and I think she should be praised for all of her accomplishments. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's all I had for I Laura like King. Yeah. She's she's pretty strong. I like her. I started, whenever I first started like looking into her, she was just going to be like a little, I was just going to talk about her a little bit mm -hmm. in the previous episode, just kind of mention her because I s thought she was cool. And then I started researching her and I was like, oh, she was <laughs> the actress when Lincoln was shot? Like, Oh, so you didn't know about her? No, I didn't know her about her at all before researching this. Mm. And I like when I was researching it too, I was like learning about Edwin Booth too, and I didn't make the connection between Edwin Booth and John Wilkes Booth. That's so crazy. Yeah, it was really fun to learn about and hear about. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all I had. I like her. I like her a lot. Yeah, she's cool. So that is the end of our time in Broadway for now. For now. Until the next time when we do a little mini season. <laughs> We come back because yes. everyone loves that idea. <laughs> yes. But mostly me. I've heard no one say anything bad about it, so I'm going to say yes. That's that's a go. I also think, like, beyond that next season or whatever, we might pick it back up later because, like, we ended around the Great Depression. So we ended, like, in the 1930s. But as you know, Broadway has lasted well beyond that. So, like... I wanted to like cut it off and not talk about up until modern day. So maybe when we get further along, we'll be like, all right, well, let's pick back up with Broadway and That'd have the cool. history of Broadway from like here on up, like 1920 on up. That's awesome. Just do another little catch up episode on Broadway. There's a few we'll probably have to do that with. I'm excited. Yeah. Next week, we're going to finally move out of the 1800s and we're going to talk about Tin Pan Alley and the birth of recorded music so we can like finish up the 1900 or the 1800s and move into the 1900s that's awesome yeah all right well that's all we had got another shorter episode this week thanks for listening everybody thank you leave us a a review or a comment if you liked it or I even if you it. didn't let us know what we did wrong <laughs> it could be me I'm very tired. <laughs> very well. No, I, I think you're fine. <laughs> Woo. Okay. Bye, friends. <laughs>